It's the Garden Nerd Tip of the Week podcast. I'm Christy Wilhelmy. Thanks for joining me. And welcome to our new format where we spend time chatting with expert gardening guests to ask for their favorite tip. My guest today is Barbara Spencer of Windrose Farm. Together with her husband Bill, Barbara grows organic vegetables, apples, and stone fruits on 20 of 50 acres with five of those acres dedicated to raising sheep in Paso Robles, California. The farm is currently transitioning from organic to incorporate more biodynamic practices. And uh, we're here, I can't wait to talk about that. Uh, We're here today at Ocean View Farms Organic Community Garden at Tomato Bration, where Barbara sells upwards of 40 different tomato plant varieties and teaches her trusted tomato rearing techniques to attendees. Thank you for joining me today, Barbara. Thank you much for inviting me. This is fun. Yeah, so first of all, I want to get to how long... How long you've been doing tomato bration, but before that, let's talk a little bit about Windrose Farms. And um, how did you end up there? Well, Windrose actually started out as a retirement ah! project, <laughs> which is to everyone that knows this for market or something goes, yeah, right. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, I had been working in the studios playing cello as a studio musician. Really? And my husband, whom I met when I was looking around for a spinster retirement home in Paso, lived up there. Friends introduced us, and it's one of those, the rest is history. Oh, my goodness. And that's so we wonderful. ended up buying the land that Windrows is on now. And what started as just a hobby farm became something much more serious over that the is, next couple of years. So 50 acres, that's a lot. It's a beautiful property. It's in, kind of hidden in a little valley. Uh-huh. So it's this little kind of sequestered area that you can't even see looking at it from the farther away from it you just look at and see there's just hills you don't even know there's a little valley interesting there. and Sweet. from what i under well you're kind of up against the mountains a little bit yeah some some yeah small mountains tall hills okay yeah. tall hills yeah. right uh and so you have an interesting microclimate out there very much so and that's where the apple thing comes from is because right. like we all think apples uh, up in the mountains, places like as far as California or up northern California, et cetera. Or Washington. But there are a couple microclimates for even like stone fruit and things like that where you can be in a low hidden part where the cold just settles. I and see. that gives you the chill hours to grow things like the heirloom apples that we have. Because we have varieties that are from France and England that are like five, 600 years old. But they grow really well there because they get the chill hours. Amazing. Because yeah. I can't, you know, we can only, down here in, in Los Angeles, we can grow basically Anna's, Fuji's if you're lucky, and a Golden yeah. Dorset. I think yeah. those are the only yeah. apples that work down here with our very low chill hours. How many chill hours do you get usually? Or how many, I guess, how Bill's many chill hours do you have? Bill's the one who apples? keeps track. He's the one. It's in the hundreds. I don't it's, know whether okay. over 300 or something like okay. that. Okay, yeah. that's pretty cool for a, for a relatively kind yeah, of Yeah, and it's like Julian, the San Diego area is similar, but it's up high. Uh-huh. But again, you can have the same thing happen of cold settling into into a hole, basically. It's, right. That's what happens. So I'm curious to know how that works for tomatoes. Because <laughs> that's well, the, the other opposite. Thing, really. I know. The other, you think about that like you're growing things that are supposed to be hot weather items. Yeah, it's really crazy. We can grow really good English, French apples, and then at the same time grow heirloom tomatoes and melons. I'm like, what? Wow. Really? And we have these cold days, I mean cold mornings mm-hmm. or night. You know, the early right. morning hours get really cold, and it can be like 39 in July. Yeah. At the same time, it can wow. be in the 90s in the daytime afternoon temperature. Oh, wow. So you can do basically... Both. You're looking at soil temperature, mm-hmm. two things. Soil temperature can become somewhere in the middle because uh-huh. uh, it's 
the real truth comes out of the root zone because theoretically you couldn't grow any tomatoes at all in our area if you follow the things in books that say you have to be above 50 and under 85 for it to set fruit. Right. Well, there would be no Munat growing tomatoes in Paso, no Windrose growing tomatoes in Paso if that were true. So obviously there's some moderating factor that comes between those extremes. That's really interesting. Because we cool off so much. So the soil temperature is just as important as everything else. Okay, and we're going to get to how you grow those tomatoes. Uh, real quick, I want to back up to where we're sitting here at Ocean View Farms under the flight path of the <laughs> Santa Monica Airport and Sentinella <laughs> Avenue, which is quite busy, and that's the noise you hear in the background, listeners. Um, I'm, I'm looking out at an array of gorgeous tomato plants growing, and you also have some arugula. Sometimes you bring peppers. Did you bring any we this didn't, year? We didn't this year. They weren't. We were just a couple weeks early. Oh yeah, earlier than usual. Right. So they're just like not quite okay. big enough to big enough. And so I, uh, I interviewed Scott Daig of Tomato yeah. Mania last week, and and you used to sell your tomatoes. At yeah, Tomato that was Mania. one of the. Actually, Gary, who was the first person when he had Hortus Nursery right. to start Tomato Mania, yes. uh, when Scott worked for him at at Hortus, and we were selling tomatoes to them when their first tomato mania started right and in fact that's where we started growing heirloom tomatoes was basically gary gave us all the leftovers from the very first tomato mania that were all piled up in the driveway to be taken away to to dump or compost oh my god and gary said well just pick through some they'll make it so we didn't and that was the first time we'd seen anything like a black crim a cherokee a green zebra and we took them home and put them in the ground, and it was like you know, just one of those epiphanies of life. You just go, oh. We should be doing tomatoes. This is what tomatoes taste like as opposed to what we've been doing already. Right. So that's where it started. So our mutual roots go back to the very, very beginning. Of Got it. And, and, I, and for me, that's how I discovered Windrose Farm, because I yeah. bought tomatoes at Tomato Mania back before I was growing yeah. them myself. Uh, under grow lights and that was my connection started there so that was a long time ago how long have you been doing tomato bration here at Ocean View Farm somebody said 14 years oh my god I don't know if it may have existed that long I would I would say 10 but I may be totally wrong it feels like at least a decade well they somebody (laughs) said Andy said 14 yeah whoa whoa that's a long time and you come and you we're by the way anyone who doesn't know what Ocean View Farm's organic community garden is we're at Rose and Sentinel Avenue, across from the Santa Monica Airport, where the Venice Little League baseball field is located, and uh, and in our meeting area, uh, Barbara teaches these classes and tells everyone how to grow, how to take their tomato seedlings home and plant them and take care of them, especially in this environment where we're kind of coastal. Yeah, it's a tricky environment here, and it, what's fun in this garden is the fact that the people that are up on the hill have a totally different situation than the guy down the street. And yep. that's, that's always a hard thing, is people like ask about watering and all these other kinds of things, and it's it like, depends. there's no rule. Right. The guy across the street, the guy with the plot two down from you has a total different microclimate than you do. Exactly. So a lot of observation. Yeah, and so we also get a lot of fungal infestations, yeah. you know, powdery mildew, early blight, late blight. I, there isn't really fusarium wilt and verticillium that we don't really have those, but I've seen septoria leaf spot yeah. and mostly the blights that take down our plants. How do you deal with that 
in Paso Robles, and we how don't should we ha- deal with it? Well, here? we're blessed. You're blessed. Okay. We're drier. You're drier. We don't have it. Yeah. We don't have that much. We actually get like an early blight on occasion. Okay. But we've never had the really bad stuff that attacks the stem as well. We just rarely Lucky. ever get that. And if we do, it'll be an isolated plant that's just not that strong, and we, we just get them out of there as soon as possible. So actually taking care of things and cleaning is one of the most important things, no matter what it is. And by cleaning, you mean? Just cutting off bad leaves, putting them in a bag, and getting them away from everything. Right. Don't just drop them on the ground next to your Yeah, don't drop them on the ground. I mean, those blights are here in the garden now. They're here forever. They're not going to go away. So it's a matter of there are some resistant varieties, but you're kind of limited with some things. Yeah. Um, So basically a whole lot of cleanliness, a whole lot of just fertilize more we really are fans of just boosting your fertilization thing it's just like just like you take vitamin c or emergency or whatever zinc whatever it is you take that's going to support your immune system you need to think about the plant the same way and you're going to do the same thing so how do you can you walk us through your process of taking care of tomatoes from start to finish okay um I'm not asking a lot no, here. No, it's okay. The <laughs> fertilization is one of the most huge things. Uh-huh. Because it used to be that people, you'd, you'd open books and they'd say, you know, put a, some fertilizer in, put some compost in, go, and then forget about it. Yeah. If you're, like in California, that that's great if you're in Arkansas. First of all, your frost-free zone is not forever. It's like right. here. Yeah. Like here, if you take care of your plants, they'll go through November. Yeah. So... That's a whole different system than you'll see in a Midwest gardening book where right. they have, they'll pick once or twice and that's it because they're putting in the end of May into June and they're, they're out by the middle of September. You don't have, you have a whole different calendar. So we need to fertilize Maintain, throughout the season. Throughout the season. You're going to fertilize throughout the season and we fertilize with a dry fertilizer mix and we also fertilize with liquid fertilizers. And what are your liquid fertilizers? It's basically fish and kelp. Okay. And in different variety, different percentages and highly diluted. Highly diluted. So we were talking about that this morning. You've got your jug of fish. You've got your jug of kelp. Yeah. You're going to mix into another jug, leaving plenty of room for diluting it, and then you're going to dilute it even more. Uh-huh. And what goes actually on the plant, no matter what the percentage is, is going to look like dirty water. Right. So it's not very much. You don't want to waste it. It's not that yeah. much. You don't want to waste it. But then, it, let's say you're fighting something, you can hose and spray every day if you want to. Yeah which you might want to for a week or so if you're fighting off something. Yeah, I did an experiment two years ago where I brewed active fungal-dominant compost tea every two weeks and and foliar sprayed my tomatoes, and I didn't get a single uh, fungal infestation for the season. That was really exciting. Well, I think that there's more more of that should be done, and I got all excited because when I came and I saw actually what turned out to be the rain barrels. Yeah. And I went, oh, wow, they're They're doing compost tea. No, we're not. We're not, but we... uh, (laughs) There are, we do have uh, some, in fact, my first interview of this new format of podcast was with Sherry Powell of Compostina. So we have people in the area who do that. And anyone can brew compost tea as long as your source material is good. That's important. That's that's the important part. And I'm so bad about this and so (laughs) non-scientific that I think if you've got, it rains and you've got some stuff sitting there, it's it's still going to be better than nothing. Yeah. I don't, I... Well, yeah, yeah, it depends. I know there are, there are different schools of thought around anaerobic I know, fermentation really and all of that. I know, there are really guys that say, oh, no, you can't do it unless it's this, this, and this. Yeah, but things seem to work 
for better you. Better than nothing. Right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Better than nothing. Maybe Good. we're we're just in a super spoiled environment. Yeah, we are. <laughs> so then, uh, when you so we talked about fertility, and then um, and ter- and pruning off any dead leaves. Yeah. Is, oh, uh, so the kelp thing, the whole yeah. thing about using again the liquid seaweed stuff. Yeah. And we increase the amount if we're doing any kind of disease control. Uh, dealing with weird temperatures, things, you know, just, again, any immune support thing, that's the kelp. Right, because kelp is sort of a broad-spectrum nutrient that helps fill in the gaps. Yeah, and and just, it strengthens everything and also makes things taste better. Yeah. It's the one that raises the bricks. It's, kelp is the thing that you use instead of rutone. I mean, you don't have to use those horrible things to say, wear gloves yeah, for rooting and things. Masks I mean, kelp and is just, and it's the one thing you can't replicate. The stuff that kelp is is the sea product is the one thing you can't replicate in compost. Yeah, everything else you can do in house. You can create in your own closed system. Right, except for the parts that come from the sea. Right, so you do have to put that in there. I don't, you know. Yeah, no, I'm a big fan because of kelp even emotion. okay, even a zillion million years ago, the plains was the sea. Right, so it was there. Exactly. Yeah. Those minerals. But it does deplete, so all we of it's need there. To, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So then we get to the point where tomatoes are setting fruit and or ripening. Yeah. And this is the point at at least here where you've got these big green tomatoes on the plants, and that's when the when diseases, diseases start hit. showing yeah. up. Yeah. So everyone I talk to is like, "Oh, pull the plant." Nobody's going to pull their plant at that point. So what do we do? First of all, don't throw the fruit away. Okay. <laughs> at the very least, you got to fry green tomatoes. Exactly. And that's terrible, but true. Yes. And a certain amount will ripen. If they're at a certain point, they will still ripen and not be that bad. Yeah. Now, talking to Dean is what he does with some of his when it's the late blight horrible thing. Right. He actually, because we always talk about pruning out suckers and things like that. Yes. There's a point in the season, like there, where he lets the suckers grow. Uh-huh. And he cleans back all the diseased leaves. And there's a certain point then when, if I understood him correctly, the plant will transition through the disease and the suckers come on. And you get or new enough, growth. You get new growth. And it's, it helps. It has less of either less or none of the disease that the others do. Got it. Excellent. So Dean, for those listening, is uh, one of our tomato growers here at Ocean View Farms who plants his entire two plots full of tomatoes every year. And he's sort of our resident expert on And he's on fantastic because, again, he grows here all the time and Paso is so different. Yeah. That he's a much better source of information. <laughs> For local gardeners. Yeah, yeah. Got it. Okay, well, it is tip time. What is the one special tomato growing tip that you would like to share with uh, our gardener okay, audience? May, and this may be the ultimate year. One of the things you're always pulling out of your garden and you want to keep to either dry or use fresh is stinging nettles. Stinging nettles. Stinging nettles. You want to make a tea. Really? And you can do it out of fresh or you can make it out of dried. And you just use it is an antifungal. So what are we how, what are we using it for? You, that's what's going to help with all those diseases. Okay, you're going to have to walk me through the process. Okay, so we all know stinging nettle tea is great for what arthritis and everything else. Right, it's a medicinal. Yeah, it's a medicinal herb, and it turns out to be really good for plants, just as a stimulant growth thing anyway, and okay. it also does a whole bunch of stuff for just disease protection and things like that. And you, as I say, you can do it as a, a fresh tea. So you, you pick nettles. You, you just pull a plant. Okay. you don't have to worry. In gloves. Fact, don't wear gloves. Wear gloves. <laughs> but if you just pull it up by the root, take the whole thing, wash it down a little bit, put, put it in a big saucepan or something. Like a bowl or something. A bowl and just 
and boil it. Make oh. tea. You're going to use hot water. Okay. So, so you're not just pouring boiling water over it. You're actually you can do boiling it. Either, it? You can do it either way. You okay. can have a whole thing of boiling water, put it in, turn it off, and let it steep. Yeah. Steep for how long? As long as you want. And again, I'm totally it's non-scientific. Just, like, just do it. Yeah, just for a few minutes. Yeah, to, or let it just cool down. Just okay. put it in there and just set it somewhere and let it cool okay, down. Okay, so then it probably takes it about really, 20 minutes for it to or cool so, or something. At least. You can let it sit overnight if you want. Okay. I'm, again, I don't... I yeah. Just, whatever is. Screw the particulars. Yeah. Just do it. But right. you can also, if you get like a fall heart, because nettles tend to start through the go through the winter yeah is you can pull it and dry it and you'll still be able to use it oh okay that's I mean, good to know I mean, we fell across it one year when we had some really early plants and i think we were still going to tomato mania yeah. and i looked at these things and the bottom first leaves coming out we're getting that ugly gray kind of curly thing and i just went oh no you know, this is not going to work yeah and Again, I don't know whether it's just, you know, the fairies from the sky or whatever. Right. It's like, well, let's just throw this stuff in there and do it. And so then after it cools, what do you do with we it? We just mix it in. We just store it in the fridge. We uh-huh. just put it in a jug, you know, just the, the tea. Yeah. And we, I just keep it in the fridge and just put some in with with the kelp and everything else when I feed. So, so you add you it do a soil to, to the soil drench or to the foliar spray. Oh, foliar too. Because I use okay. it as foliar. Because, again, in that time, we're just doing the little seedlings in the nursery. So they're just getting a, a total drench. I see. Yeah, and that's that whole thing people say, don't get your leaves wet. Yeah, you're getting your leaves wet. I'm getting my leaves wet all the time. I know, that's the, the thing. Time. You've always said time. that in your classes, and I'm like, I just don't believe you, Barbara. Well, if it, you know, New Jersey grows great tomatoes, Yeah, right? and it, it rains, rains all the time. All the time. I, I know, I know. That was my other line about that. Yeah. Yeah. So we just, yeah, so all the time these plants are being grown, they're, they're getting being, foliar sprayed. They're getting foliar sprayed all the time and getting watered all the time. And then, and this, so the stinging nettle tip—that is a really good tip. I've really never good. heard of and that before. It works before. for everything. I mean, it's just—it's really good for just, yeah, supporting I am everything. Absolutely going to yeah. try that this year. All right. Well, thank you for sharing that tip, Barbara. That is a—that is My probably pleasure. the best thank one you. so far. And thanks for being on the Gardener Tip of the Week podcast. Thank you. Yay! All right, garden nerds, you'll find more information about Barbara Spencer and Windrose Farm on GardenNerd.com this week. We'll share her link to her website as well as their video page, which features puppies, interviews, and vignettes of life on the farm. That's it for this week. Subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen. Visit us for tons of gardening information at GardenNerd.com. You'll find us on Instagram and Twitter at GardenNerd1, on Facebook as GardenNerd.com, and of course, our GardenNerd YouTube channel. Happy gardening!